test and it went like this. Children, you can have the marshmallow right now, but if you wait while I leave the room and uh, wait until I come back, you can have two marshmallows when I get back. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. In the test, some children grabbed the treat and inhaled it straight away. Some lasted a few minutes before they gave in, but others were absolutely determined to, to wait. And they had all sorts of tricks to do so, covering their eyes, putting their heads down, singing to themselves, whatever it might be. Um, and then the guy came back and they got their extra marshmallow. At the point of the test was actually not to just see the immediate thing going on, but to see how the different categories would develop. And they found that the children who'd waited patiently for a second marshmallow generally grew up to be better adjusted, um, more popular, confident, and dependable as teenagers and beyond. But those who'd given in to the temptation were more likely to be, for example, lonely, easily frustrated, um, given to stress, shy away from challenges, and so on. Uh, and therefore the lesson was apparently delaying gratification in small areas can pave the way for character growth in significant ways. I know you can probably prove anything from surveys like that, but I think it's a, a, an instructive little experiment. Um, even before the pandemic, we are an instant culture. We want everything and we want it now whether that's instant coffee or instant cash, um, how hard we find it to wait. And I suppose that's even more clear now, how hard it is, even if we stayed healthy, to have that sensation that life is on hold. Now, in the life of Abraham, it was more than a matter of one marshmallow or two. He'd received amazing promises. God promised to give him a people, a nation even. He'd give him a place, uh, the whole land of Canaan. He'd give him protection. He'd bless everyone who blessed Abraham, curse everyone who cursed him. And in fact, worldwide blessing would be the result. It's a mouthwatering prospect. And then, if you like, God left the room. And so you have then beginning a long period of waiting. Um, Ten years passed before we get to this chapter. And still Abraham's got no child. Uh, it's actually going to be a further 15 years before Isaac's born. And then we'll see in the chapter we've had read a further 400 years before Abraham's descendants would occupy the promised land. But the period of waiting was crucial in leading Abraham and his descendants to let God be God. See, our God isn't just a magic genie who's at our disposal to give us what we want, when we want it. You and I need to realize that we serve God's purposes and God's time scale, but that we can trust him to keep his promises. So I don't know, scanning down the list of who's here, what it is in your life that makes you think you'd, you'd rather have your good things now rather than wait for God's blessings. Um, in Abraham parlance, the sort of challenges he faced, would it be a matter of when service 
as one of God's friends seems to be bearing little fruit, or when the circumstances are very erratic and up and down, occasionally taking a nosedive, or when other people we might think have a richer experience of God than we do. And all those things make you wonder whether God can be relied on. Well, we often in that sort of situation want God back in the room now, giving us the marshmallow this instant. And we need the lessons about God's trustworthiness, which our chapter can give us. I want to crystallize them and then whiz through the chapter very quickly um, with a light touch on some of the verses, I'm afraid. Two ways to crystallize the lessons about God's trustworthiness. First, a creator God can keep his promises, which I learned from verses one to six in outline. And secondly, a covenant God must keep his promises, which is the second half of the chapter. A creator God can keep his promises first. There's that reassurance at the start. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield, your very great rewards. Um, just had that battle with the kings beforehand. And God says, don't fear. They won't come back stronger next time. I'll be your shield, as it were. And maybe he worried about giving up some of the goodies that he gave up at the end of the chapter. Well, God says, don't fear. I won't just give you a reward. I'll be your reward. I'm offering you better things than mere temporal blessings. I'm offering you myself, which is a sort of promise that comes again and again to God's people throughout the Bible. So whatever our fears are, I don't know what you're afraid of tonight it's probably not usually the big disasters hitting us we never imagine they will actually affect us so much as the everyday things whatever they might be sickness or loneliness and if we're one of god's people he says just don't fear if you've got me you've got everything i'll be your shield and your reward now abraham is offering to help god out in uh keeping things moving on in God's program. But God says, no, we're not equal partners. And verse five is the crucial one. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And that's why I said under this first heading, the creator God can keep his promises because God invites Abraham to contemplate his creative power. He's the one who puts the stars in the sky. And every time Abraham was to look up at the sky in the night, there were a zillion proofs that God can keep his promises. The one who made the stars out of nothing can create a nation from one old man. And the verse we've looked at already in the service shows that Abraham didn't need to hear any more. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, the creator God. Faith always has an obvious, never a sort of wishy-washy thing that some people have and others don't. Abraham believed God. And God credits that to him as righteousness. So at that point, he's trusting God to keep his promise. No longer trying hard to help God out. And that verse is a seedbed verse in the Bible. It meant a lot to the New Testament writers. Consider Abraham, says Paul. 
he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand that those who believe are children of Abraham. And that's why there's going to be a nation. Abraham's family is so innumerable. The door really is open to everyone because it's on the basis of faith, just trusting God. You don't have to do anything or jump through any racial hoops. All are invited. So if any of us feels jaded about the possibility that God would have us in his people or other people for Christ that we're trying to win, uh, will they be included? Well, look out at the night sky on a clear night. God credits righteousness to those who trust him, and that means nobody's beyond his reach. Um, the creator God can keep his promises. Then secondly, the covenant God must keep his promises, which I learned from the uh, rest of the chapter from verse 7 onwards. There's a new scene there. It starts with God bringing encouragement to Abraham again. He also said to him, verse 7, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land, to take possession of it. So God uses that special name, the Lord, for himself, the covenant name of God, Jehovah. I am who I am, or even I will be who I will be, the eternal, dependable God, a God who doesn't change, who keeps his covenant. And therefore, obviously, Abraham can rely on him. Now, before the focus is on the people being uh, granted uh, in fulfillment of the promise, now it's a different aspect of the promise. It's the place. And a covenant God is not someone who guides his people into dead ends. If he called Abraham out of Ur, he will lead him to the promised land. Once again, you get a repeat of the theme that um, Abraham rather doubts God's power, uh, wonders how it's going to happen, really, doesn't he? And the answer is quite complicated, but I'll try and just whiz at, at height over it. It's a twofold answer, a ritual and a revelation. The ritual is described first in verses 9 to 11. I won't reread them. And it sounds pretty funny to us, cutting up some of the animals and so on. But it was a familiar ritual to Abraham as a way of binding two parties together in a contract or covenant. The deal was that you'd cut the animals in two. And normally, both parties would walk in between the two halves as a way of saying, look, if either of us break the agreement, may what happened to these animals happen to that person. So it's very solemn. Um, and there's a hint uh, when Abraham has to chase those vultures away that the violator of the covenant risks dying unburied and being torn to shreds by unclean animals like vultures. But at that point, the ritual gets put on hold for a revelation. I won't read verses 12 to 16, but God's point is this. Abraham's descendants will have to wait to inherit the land properly, 400 years or more, including, of course, bitter slavery. So it's a, a much longer wait and a much bitterer trial than actually Abraham was facing. And those verses are hugely important for the way God's plans are going to unfold. Um, God had it all planned in advance. 
and the outcome revealed to his people beforehand as well. He knew what was going to be happening, and they knew. Even when the terrible things like famine or ethnic cleansing came into their history later on. And it seems to me the parallel for our own day is really instructive. We sometimes look at our world with so much that's wrong. We say, how long must it go on, Lord? Why don't you act? Or we suffer something personally, whatever it might be, and um, we wish it would end. Why doesn't it end? Well, because if God was to end everything we didn't much like, perhaps it's worth wondering whether we, we, we'd have a situation where, well, where would he draw the line in that situation? We don't always know, but we can be absolutely sure that God knows what he's doing and he's patiently working his purpose out. And that leads us to the last couple of the verses where the ritual we already thought about is finally enacted. Verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. And for that to happen, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten tribes are going to be knocked over like skittles. He commits himself to it in a covenant. Abraham totally passive uh, the smoking brazier and the flaming torch that symbolized god just passed through the, the halves of the cattle but abraham does nothing so god commits himself to keep this covenant while abraham is simply looking on so if the covenant breaks down says god may what happened to this calf happen to me may i be torn apart and die an accursed death the covenant was entered into 4,000 years ago, but of course it was fulfilled 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, literally torn apart. But here's the point. If God loves us like that, how could he ever break covenant with us? The God of the covenant must keep his promises to us. So we don't know what the future holds for us. None of us likes waiting for blessings we want all the marshmallows now and god doesn't always tell us in advance what every step of the journey will involve but the destination is not in doubt because god's people including you if you're a friend of christ will get to god's place the god of creation can keep his promises and the god of the covenant must now in the breakout rooms you've got a couple of questions um, to consider. And I don't know if Edward has those questions to hand or if I need to send them to him. I don't think I can send them to everybody, but I can send them to him. Which I have just done. I don't know if that means he can just flip them on to us somehow. A couple of things just for us to, um, to ponder. What are the things now that might make you doubt whether God can be relied on and what might they be in a year's time? I'm just trying to get us to think laterally about that. And how do you think we should pray in the light of God's reassurances to Abraham? And I should have added, and get on and do it in the groups if you can. <laughs>